Red Business with Jonathan Healy. Hi there and thank you very much for joining us. It's a bit late to say it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Happy New Year, our first episode of 2024. And here's hoping it's going to be a very successful one for businesses right around Cork. We've lots to come on this initial episode. We warm up a small bit. It's very cold over the last little while. So it's a good thing that we have got somebody on who can kit us out in the best gear. But he started his business in a particular way. Now imagine you're in the situation where you've paid big bucks for a suit for your wedding and then two weeks before the day you find the suit won't be available. Well, that's exactly what happened to my first guest, Sean Tracy. Uh, he said he never wanted a groom to go through the same thing that he did. And I imagine uh, that is the case. So he set up Hunter Tracy Taylors. Uh, the first studio was opened in Dublin, the second in Clonakilty. Sean Tracy, how are you? I'm very good, Jonathan. Thank you for having me on. So what happened? You, 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 the suits ordered. You, you thought you were going to be absolutely fabulous. And then what? Yeah, so basically I had a couple of months before the wedding, We, myself and my fiancé decided that we'd go for a made measure suit. So went to a company in Dublin, got measured up, paid a fair few quid up front, and then was kind of badgering them a couple of weeks before, a couple of months before, a couple of weeks before, nothing. Uh, so two weeks before the wedding, I kind of accepted, right, I'm going to have to go out, uh, get an off-the-rack suit and get it a uh, tailor to fit me because I'm not the standard shape. I'm kind of quite broad. So, you know, usually off the rack doesn't work. Uh, so my fiance, she's still married me. Thankfully, she's now my wife, but uh, there was some choice <laughs> words. But Were you being blamed for the suits not being ready? It was your fault, was it? I mean, essentially, like when these kind of things happen, um, yeah, you know, you shouldn't have went with that company X, Y and Z kind of thing. But, um, you know, we took that experience, turned a negative into a positive um, and built a successful business off the back of it. So the thing is, you really are a husband and wife team, aren't you? Because Hunter and Bloom is your business and, and that's kind of operating at the front of the shop. And then she has a bit. Uh, is, is No, she's at the front and you're at the back. Is that it? That's it, exactly. Yeah. So basically, Hunter Tracy Taylor started in Dublin, as you mentioned. Um, so I still have a studio up there. So I'm, I'm based in West Cork myself. I travel up to Dublin every two weeks. And Clannacilty is an amalgamation of both of our businesses. So it's Hunter Tracy Taylor's and then it's Thorn and Bloom. So my wife's business, Thorn and Bloom, does the likes of dried flowers, furniture, lifestyle goods. So we decided on Hunter and Bloom. Um, we actually recently just won best menswear in 2023 which was great with the gloss um, but yeah the front of the shop is my wife's kind of furniture lifestyle goods and then the back is kind of my little den of tailoring and menswear that kind of thing <laughs> How did you end up down in Clan? So we lived in Dublin um, and we just actually before COVID we sort of made a decision that we didn't want to get shackled with a massive mortgage we were getting a bit sick of the rat race living in Dublin and um, so we just wanted to get out so we looked all over Ireland I've been to West Cork um, a good bit as a child so it was an area that I sort of knew um, so we went down in August I think it was 2020 maybe when the restrictions lifted um, and just fell in love with the place and we got a beautiful house that was in their budget um, you know four bed four bath for a fraction of what you pay in Dublin and we've been there ever since. So once COVID lifted, we decided we wanted to have a bit more of a presence. We thought a shop would be a good way of meeting people, kind of integrating into the local community. Um, and yeah, Hunter and Bloom was born. Started as a pop-up shop 
for two weeks and then it went pretty well. So we said, oh, we'll do it for a year. And then, yeah, three Christmases later, we're <laughs> still going strong. Still going strong. Well, I, mean, I think you've kind of identified the market yourself because men, uh, this may come as a shock to our female listeners, come in all shapes and sizes uh, and they, they don't necessarily fit everything that comes off the rack. I mean, every time I go in to buy clothes, in a physical shop and I'm an owl lad I don't like buying things online I like to try them on first you know it's very hard to get the 42 regular with the 34 waist and, and you end up buying the wrong thing and it doesn't look right I mean, you're you're trying to get rid of all of that aren't you? Yeah exactly like with us it's very much about the experience um, of you know the purchase process and what that kind of looks like and so from the major measure perspective everything that we do is completely custom made so it's a lot more sustainable uh, from from a start than say buying you know tons of off the rack suits that maybe aren't going to fit everyone perfectly and then you're stuck with a huge amount of stock whereas what we do is either made to order or made to measure so um, if somebody wants to get a suit made or a shirt made they come in they get measured they pick the fabrics and for a suit they pick absolutely everything um, from the shoulders down to the trouser cuff and everything in between um, and then everything is made to your exact measurements then we do another fitting after that so whatever you buy mm. kind of rest assured is going to fit you well See, hang on hang um, on hang in on. our shop in Clonic Hill hang on a second there Sorry, no, I mean, I've had a good Christmas right and I'm currently trying to shed the extra inch that's around <laughs> me so if I bought a suit prior to Christmas and was collecting it now you'd have to let it out is there much room for manoeuvre? Yeah, so any kind of premium product, any luxury kind of tailoring will always leave extra fabrics in the seams. Um, whereas if you go with, say, usually a cheaper kind of off-the-rack suit that's maybe mass-produced, you just don't get that kind of attention to detail. Um, so even our, we do sell some off-the-rack suits um, in our Clonakilty shop, and then we do a lot of casual clothing like chinos, uh, shirts. They're all handmade in Portugal, but they're all like premium quality. Um, but because we deal directly with the factories, we get a much better price, so they're a lot more affordable. But anything, if you came in to get measured up for a suit or a pair of pants, you've put on a few pounds, that's fine. We can just let it out. And that's part of the made-to-measure process is that second and third fitting yes, the, the, to make sure that you're happy with the end product. The, we call them concertina trousers. Uh, they keep going in and out, uh, depending on the day. Uh, now, w- the other side of this is the tailoring. I mean, who does all your tailoring for you? Yeah, so we get everything made at the moment in Europe. So we use factories in Italy and in Portugal. The kind of long-term goal, the 10-year plan, will be to bring that manufacturing to Ireland. It's just not here yet in terms of... Now, there has been a renaissance, I suppose, in kind of small-scale manufacturing here. Um, But how our prices are so competitive for, say, luxury-made products is that we use technology. So the factories that we use do like laser cutting of the patterns as opposed to doing it by hand, which, you know, which might take a cutter 20 hours, takes, you know, a machine 20 seconds. Like, and so you cut down massively on costs that way. So at the minute, all of our clothing is made in Europe and using fully natural fabrics. We don't use any synthetics, anything like that. But yeah, the end, the end goal would be to bring that manufacturing here to Ireland. Okay. Well, you're open down in Clan. The business down there is Hunter and Bloom and Thorn and Bloom uh, run by his uh, suffering wife, uh, God love her. I mean, she she gave you one job for the wedding, and look what happened to it. Uh, open down in Clonakilty, and they can find you there. Sean Tracy, it's been absolutely lovely talking to you. The best luck for twenty twenty four. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Lovely to chat. Have a good one. Now, January is when lots of people decide they might want to change their career, and some of them decide to start their own business. Now, one person who did this 
is Lindsay Kremen, uh, who was a nurse at the Bon Secure Hospital. And then she went up and set up her own business called The Dressing Clinic. Lindsay, how are you? Hi, Jonathan. How are you? I'm very well. We were talking to a tailor just before. Uh, now, when you're talking about a dressing clinic, it's very different. Tell us about the business. So the dressing clinic, um, I'm a tissue viability nurse. I'm a clinical nurse specialist. So um, this service offers um, this service offers uh, specialist wound care to people in the comfort of their own homes. So I suppose traditionally people would have to go to their GP, their practice nurse, or into one of the dressing clinics in one of the hospitals uh so you know they'd have to get transport to the the um appointments in the clinics they'd have to um wait in the waiting rooms um whereas now with this service people have there's less waiting times and we can come to the house we have all the products and and you can sit and relax at home especially with this cold weather you don't have to be venturing out absolutely yeah and that's something that weighs very heavily on people's minds um the idea of going out uh it, the, the whole purpose of a clinic is everybody comes there it saves time uh, is is it not a bit more laborious to do it this way uh, well i suppose yeah for me I, I do spend a lot of time in the car um but for patients it's it's definitely an invaluable service that's saving people lots of hassle and, you know, people are missing appointments. There was people having to get relatives to take time off work that are hanging around the hospital and waiting. Um, so it, it works well for people. One of the things about wounds is uh, like it can take a long time for a wound to heal for a variety of different reasons. Uh, some people then might end up, if they're if they're not particularly mobile, they might get wounds that recur and, and need specialist mm-hmm. treatment. I mean, from what you're describing is you'll have seen all of that in a clinical environment. So you're bringing your clinical expertise to their Absolutely. home. Is, is that is that it? Yeah, yeah. So I suppose um, a lot of the services that are in the community at the moment are generalised services. So like your GP, general practitioner and your um, practice nurses and your public health nurses. And they're all great at wound care. But I suppose they're they're generalist practitioners. They're they're great at everything. Um, and what I would offer then is a, a specialist, more a, a more of a specialist approach and a holistic um, assessment, and and even just a second pair of eyes sometimes. Well, absolutely. I mean, you. I mean, I presume you're in a, what would be described in in the medical world as an advanced nurse practitioner, somebody who has specialised and has a, a certain skill set, and we don't we don't talk those people up enough. I mean, you're just showing how you can use that skill set in a completely different way. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose I'm an advanced nurse practitioner would be the next step up for me. So I'm a clinical nurse specialist. But yeah, the same kind of thing where independent practitioners who, you know, have a lot of knowledge and experience about this particular area and come in and complement the work that the GPs, practice nurses, public health nurses, and even nurses in nursing homes um, who who would have somewhat of an experience. But I suppose it kind of depends what they've those nurses have come across. You know, what have they seen? What what where have they worked before? Whereas 
I would have a lot of experience from hospitals and the community setting as well. I have to tell you, Lindsay, you're a bit of an anomaly because the system is designed. You're a nurse, you go, you work in a hospital or you work in a, in a clinical environment and that's it. And you, you, you get to your pension, you retire and, and, and you sit at home twiddling your thumbs. This, yeah. this, this is completely different. I mean, you've decided to set up your own business. How intimidating was that at the start? Uh, intimidating is probably the right word um, I suppose yeah the nursing training is really geared towards the clinical side of it and you know learning how to how to care for patients how to make people better how to stop getting you know make how, how to stop people getting sick um, and I from my own background even from school I never did any business or anything like that so it was quite daunting but I suppose Google is great. Um, they, I've I've been in touch with the local enterprise offices as well, who've offered lots of support and there's courses and things there. So I'm kind of learning as I'm going along, and I know a few people who are who've done similar in different industries. So picking everybody's brains along the way. Well, it's certainly um, a journey that you're on and a successful today. You have loads of happy patients who will attest to it. Thedressingclinic.ie is the website address if you want to go and see more. Thedressingclinic.ie. Lindsay Crimmon, Director of said clinic. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks, Jonathan. Now, the start of a new year is a great time for people to reflect on their workplace practices and look at how situations can change in the year ahead. So, what are the predicted trends for 2024? Stephen Carolyn is National Hub's Network Programme Manager at the Western Development Commission. He's with us now to talk about those trends. Stephen, how are you? Good, Jonathan. How are you doing? I mean, the, January is, is one of these times we all come back and we're a little bit bleary-eyed and, and we ate too many mince pies that made meant sure that it didn't fit the suit we were talking about earlier on. Uh, the thought of a year of work is somewhat depressing, isn't it? Yeah, Jonathan, it is. There's a touch of that, right? It's a bit daunting looking into a whole 12 months ahead. But uh, uh, it's a great time, though, to to put plans in place and get on with it. And uh, um, uh, I think that's where the, the where the opportunity lies, you know. Mm. Tell me a little bit about the trends that are out there. I mean, <laughs> if we were having this conversation in 2020, uh, I can imagine how, how horribly wrong we would have got it. Uh, but let's assume there isn't a global pandemic around the corner. What's going to change? Um, I don't know uh, if there's. Well, here's the big, the big thing you keep hearing about is um, is, is employers talking about uh, everyone back to the office. Um, and you know, there was a recent IBEC report from October. There it says, I think there was thirteen hundred CEOs surveyed, and they in a few years expect you no know, full time back to the office again. Um, I'm not so sure that that's going to uh, come. Uh, that's going to play out. To be honest with you. Um, I, well, think well, I, I, I agree with you, by the way, for the record. I think that anyone who thinks that they can force the staff back to the office is living in cloud cuckoo land. We have tasted from the fountain and uh, we ain't going back to what we were, the swill we were drinking before, which was sitting in traffic, going to the office, sitting there, sitting in traffic on the way home. It's not happening. No, it's, it's um, actually when you think, like I've always lived in the West of Ireland and for a reason I was lucky enough to get a good job down here, but... I always thought about that. I just couldn't get my head around that the long commutes. And I was lucky enough now. And I know that people, you know, can't aren't always in the they have different situations. But um, the thought of of commutes in the evening, in the morning, and um, you know, I just couldn't put up with that. But um, no, we the genie is out of the bottle on that one. That's not going back. I think what it is now, it's about um, adapting to to that change and uh, coming up with policies and plans that uh, can work 
that can ha- you know work with work with employees um to to make sure that they uh, the employee and the employer is getting the best out of whatever flexible working plan comes out yeah i mean this is where the the idea of hubs come in i mean you you set up the connected hubs program hubs are working well aren't they they are places where people can rock up whether it would be in the west of ireland or down in skibbereen or somewhere in north cork but you know it means you don't have to go to the office but you can effectively be there yeah absolutely that's um that's what we're trying to do here we started this program back in 2019 that was pre-pandemic um uh, around my colleague Pauline Leonard actually started the work before I joined the I worked for the Western Development Commission and I joined in um, in July but Pauline was already working and doing the research on this project and back then it was just a West of Ireland uh, focused project um, just from the it was called the area was called the Atlantic Economic Corridor at Donegal down to Kerry and it was about creating a network out of all these different types of hubs that were in the region so it's basically a network that all these different hubs could coalesce under and share knowledge and help um, help uh, share best practice, uh, market themselves under as, as a single entity and just raise awareness and raise standards, I suppose. Uh, that's what it was about. Um, and uh, it was about the reason it was there in the first place. Some of the hubs were doing really, really well. Another tranche of them were treading water, if you like, and another uh, group were maybe struggling. And the idea was to create this network, by creating this network, We'd have, you know, a rising tide would lift all boats type of uh, of an idea. But I mean, hubs have failed as well. Let's, let's not uh, deny it, uh, particularly those that were yeah. less community focused, if I could put it that way. If you were going in purely from a commercial make cash perspective, it, it's not necessarily going to do it for you if you're outside of the big city. So there does need to be a level of public support. There do, yeah, depend. Yeah, well, it, it very much like it's very nuanced. Um, there's a lot of uh, it's not a simple uh, sector to understand. And what we're trying to do is bring in a level of understanding to that as well. So, if you go back to 2019, Jonathan, there was no one register of hubs in the country. So when we started off with this project, we were told, and the Department of Rural and Community Development are the uh, sponsor of this project. Um, there was information that there was about 40, 50 hubs in the uh, in the Atlantic Economic Corridor, which is about a third of the country. When we finished our research, we found that there was 114. So you can imagine when you extrapolate that over the country, um, the variances were there. Um, so we landed on a what we found we figured would be a viable number of hubs, which was around 400 hubs yeah. um, of all different shapes, makes, and sizes. And we began to map those out and build up data sets underneath them. So that's what you're talking about there, Jonathan, if somebody is going to set up a hub, and this happens now all the time, we do clinics with people all the time, we're talking about hubs. Um, one actually there in Loch Ray that opened recently was a good example. And um, they will talk to us and we will show them, we will, our map is freely available there and they can start to plan around it and start to build up their case study based on data rather than a kind of a good idea. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think 2024 is still going to be the year of the remote worker, not necessarily full-time, maybe getting the train up to Dublin or getting the train to another part of Cork or up the west of Ireland, whatever the case may be. I, I, I can't see myself being proven wrong, but I think employers are the ones who are going to learn that the hard way. Yeah, and I, I, we, we've, we've a, a group of employers that we're engaging with at the moment, and that's an area that we're, we've put a lot of work into this year, or last year, sorry, now we're in 2024, and this year, my colleague Leah Verma has done a lot of work on this with big corporates. Uh, we're folk, and we're going to look at employers of all sizes here and, and starting engage more with them about what the hubs do and what they how they can help them and how they can use them. And we've been having a lot of success with that 
um, especially around the area of uh, these employers bringing their teams together. So where they may not have bit the bullet and said, okay, I'm going to take a few desks there, or I'll take a desk there or one employee. They'll say, okay, I can bring my team together in these places, professional work environments. There's top, there's audiovisual systems in them. There's um, everything works in them. There's tea, coffee, etc. And there's a lot of that happening as well. But uh, you're right, Jonathan. Um, I think the employers that stick to the stick to the rule book, um, you know, especially in an employee's marketplace, uh, they will uh, struggle with their talent attraction and retention policies. Okay, I think you're right. And uh, let's see how it plays out. We might catch up later in the year to see if we can both be proved right. Stephen Carolyn uh, from the National Hubs Network programme. Thank you so much for joining us on Red Business. And that is it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget Red Business in Focus is still going strong on redfm.ie where you can see uh, loads of businesses from around Cork who are doing amazing things with thanks to Cork's local enterprise offices. Fiona Corcoran was the producer and we'll catch you on the next one. Get the Red Business Podcast every week with Jonathan Healy at redfm.ie and wherever you get your podcasts.